in this episode of the Connor Carrick Podcast. You know, so many great people live their life chasing success, all for a line on an epitaph, all for a line on a tombstone. We, we, you know, success has costs. You know that. I do. Right? Costs of injuries. I, I've, I've read about you, you, your injuries. But there's psychic costs. People try to take us down. As a matter of fact, a symptom of success means you get a lot of critics too. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Connor Carrick Podcast. I am your host, current New Jersey Devils defenseman, Connor Carrick. I uh, speak to guests that I really revere and look up to each and every week. I've been so grateful for a lot of the conversations we've had, learned a lot about myself and the process, about our guest, and I hope you have too, uh, wherever you are in the world today. But today in particular, I am very excited to talk to uh, a role model in my life, someone I really look up to as a leader, Robin Sharma. He is a globally respected humanitarian. Uh, he is truly a leader amongst leaders, uh, someone that he has written uh, The Monk Who Sold His Ferrari, The Greatness Guy, The Leader Who Had No, no Title. And now we talk a little bit about uh, the, the most recent book I've read and that he's published, The 5 A.M. Club. He truly is a profound person uh, filled with, with wisdom and rhythm. He has a uh, very clear sense of his work ethic, of his superpowers, and of his dark side as, as a person and as a professional. I'm very excited about our conversation today, and thank you for joining us. I also want to start with, before we, we get to Robin today, um, I want to answer the question of why I enjoy having these types of conversations. Uh, Robin is someone who's been in the, the self-help, the personal development, the self-mastery field uh, longer than I've uh, been alive, frankly. He is, his teachings are really time-tested. Uh, he consults you know, both the art and science of, of well-being and, and you know, just how to develop oneself. And it's a lot of the work that I like to do on my own. I find it lends itself well to having a more resilient and, and passionate experience with my hockey career, which, you know, has a lot of ups and downs. Uh, but I'm also, I also have a family life. I have uh, goals for myself outside the rink. We touched on that a lot with, you know, the Zach Hyman podcast um, in terms of learning how to holistically uh, grow as a person really day in, day out and in every aspect. And Robin uh, is and his work is is really been a great source of of development influence on me in a positive light. So I'm I'm very excited to share him with you. He's he's truly a brilliant person. Uh, I learned a lot from our conversation today, and uh, I, I I hope you do too. Robin, no, thanks. I'm I'm thrilled to talk to you because I've really become a fan of your work. I uh, casually, I think, come across it just because your reach is so strong. You've done, obviously, a, a fabulous job building your career over, you know, how old are you, 55 now? Uh, yes. And I, I guess I look up to you in a sense that at around 25, you'd made a massive life decision um, to really invest in how you wanted to build your life, how you wanted to... Uh, study your life, how you wanted to curate your life. 
And I guess my path, not similar. I'm not leaving my, I'm not announcing any retirement today. Um, you know, but I really got to a point at 24, 25 where I wasn't happy with, uh, how I was handling my career. I became very, um, I was always a, a, a never be satisfied kind of guy. And that was coming a little, a little hot to handle. I was struggling with, uh, sort of the mental resiliency to, to stay even keel. And I was bringing a lot of my, my career emotions home with me, you know, and dragging my family through the mud of, of the roller coaster of an NHL season. Uh, and I just, you know, wanted to invest in, I guess, my own process so I could be more, um, neutral when I got home. You know, I, I remember my dad growing up, you know, he's in real estate management and, and he'd have tough days at work. And I never knew the difference, you know, as a, as a young man. Um, you know, so, I, uh, you know, I consider you to be, uh, and, and 15 million books sold worldwide. Like obviously one of the world leaders, um, in the study of life. And I am so excited, uh, really to talk to you today. Well, you know, you're, you're more than generous, Connor. Um, have you seen the Netflix documentary series, uh, the last dance with, uh, Jordan and the bulls? Uh, you know, I, uh, I'm watching it right now. Yeah. And, and being in Chicago where I'm from, it's sure. Yeah, it'd be, I think it'd be a sin not to. Yeah. And, and, you know, when I watch Jordan and when I watch Phil Jackson, who, who, you know, one of the pieces of wisdom he shared is you're only successful at the moment you're successful. So it's, you know, the, the Bulls win the championship and then the next day it's the baseline for where they're starting. What I'm trying to say is what you said about, you know, your need to just always be improving and relentlessness, I mean, that's a gift. And what I believe is we have to manage our gifts and honor our gifts, but manage the downsides as well. And so it sounds like, you know, your your gift is to always be trying to improve things and get better. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in, in the NHL. You wouldn't be a pro athlete. And yet at the same time, in, in our personal lives, often the things that make us great at work are challenges in our personal life. And you're right. When I was in my mid-20s, I was a successful lawyer. And I became a lawyer for all the wrong reasons. You know, they said, the society tells us if we get a good income, if we get some nice things, live in a nice house, you know, get social media likes these days, then you're going to wake up in the morning and uh, there's going to be rainbows and puppies and, you know, flowers and rose gardens. And we know that's not true. As a matter of fact, as John Kabat-Zinn, the great Zen teacher said, wherever you go, there you are. And so I'm a huge fan of success and maximizing your talents and enjoying the things the world has to offer. Why not? And yet, you know, what's more important than what I call JPF, joy, peace, and freedom? And so I left the law. I wrote my first book. I self-published it in a 24-hour copy shop. Started from nothing, was laughed at, ridiculed, and mocked. But step by step, I got the message out there, and it's been an interesting ride. Well, and I, I've, um, you know, in doing some some further research on you, you know, when we confirm we're going to do this podcast, I'm, I think I'm on the last chapter of the audio book. I've managed to, to get that far in about seven days, so I'm I'm really enjoying reading, you know, the gift you've given in, in terms of the 5 a.m. club. Uh, but I was reading your mission, mission statement online and it was to help people and organizations around the world lead 
without a title. And for me, that's been like, I'm not trying to come on this podcast or even on any social media and, and coach. I don't, I don't want to be a coach. Uh, I, I, I don't even want to be appointed as, you know, some leader. It's just, I, I want to start, you know, and I really like with the 5am club, how comprehensive you are. You know, you talk about the, the four internal pillars, uh, mindset, heart set, health set, and soul set. Uh, and, uh, you know, I'm curious, you know, how, what was your relationship with those four, you know, really inner pillars and how did you differentiate, differentiate between the four? Cause I personally never really separated soul set and heart set. I kind of viewed them as the same woo, you know, sort of uh inner peace, like you're, you're talking about, um, you know, where it was, what started to really point you in your direct, in that direction? What thought really started tugging on your shirt to, to identify and clarify those, those four areas of work? Well, first of all, if I may, you say that you don't want to be a coach and leader and all that kind of thing. And, I, and I'm, I'm on the same page, you know, I mean, I don't want to be a guru and I don't want to hold myself in, uh, in the last dance. Jordan says, he says, you know, if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't have held myself out to be a role model. Because in the, in the episode my son and I watched last night, it was episode six, I think. Mm hmm he realized, you know, I mean, the world builds you up to tear you down. And he went through that whole, you know, be like Mike and you know, had all the endorsements and he was on top of the world. And then before the game with the Knicks, there was so much pressure. He and his dad went out to Atlantic City and gambled. And all of a sudden, you know, they tried to tear him down. And so I think it's an interesting world. You know, I, I have no interest in being a role model or a guru. I just want to be myself and I want to be, you know, um, I'll get to the four interior empires. I just want to say my life changed a few years ago, Connor, when I stood in Nelson Mandela's prison cell on Robben Island. And there was a, a former ANC prisoner who gave me the tour. And I said, did you know Nelson Mandela? He said, yeah, you know, I served with him for seven years. And I said, oh, well, what was he like? And he said, oh, that man was a humble servant. So you have someone as great as Nelson Mandela, whose mission is to serve. And so I think, you know, being a leader and trying to get social media likes and, you know, defining yourself by who you are in the world is a very short game. And I think... Ultimately, life, even the longest life is a short ride. And I think we're in it to maximize our potential, but also to serve as many people as possible. On the four interior empires, you're right. I mean, you know this as um, uh, a mental health activist as, as well as a pro athlete. But so many people are talking about mindset. Mm -hmm. right? And, and, and here's the messaging we hear. And I'm not judging it. It's wrong. I'm just saying it's mindset is everything. Well, with great respect, I don't think mindset is everything because mindset is our psychology. And of course, we need to be positive thinkers to install the, the, the mentalities of winning. But psychology is only one element. I think we have three other interior empires that I've identified in the 5am club. We have mindset, which is your psychology. We have heart set, which is your emotionality. emotionality. 
I mean, we are human. We must feel. We feel sorrow. We feel joy. We feel anger. We feel gratitude. So heart set, but that's only two. Third one I identify in the book is health set. I mean, you're a master at that, Mm -hmm. right? That's our physicality. That is our energy and our longevity. And then we've got soul set. Now, any of your listeners who might roll their eyes and go, okay, you know, come on, Connor, why do you have this, this person here talking about soul set? But soul set is actually where warriors play. Soul set is not about metaphysics. You can have a great mindset, great psychology. You can have a great heart set, which is a strong emotionality. You can have a great health set, which you do. But if you don't have your soul set in order, if you're not intimate, not with your egoic self, but your heroic self, you haven't found a cause that's larger than your own life. If you haven't turned down the screaming ego to listen to your best self, then you're never going to be a champion, whether it's uh, you know in the NHL or in, in a business or in society or in the world. So I think those four interior empire, is that's where the real titans play, working on those. And I think, you know... I- you know, I, I, t- I do talk to like a lot of young athletes through, you know, this podcast and through uh, social media and things like that. And that is something that and I'm, tr- I'm trying to root for is the development as a holistic person, you know, because when I look back over my career, my best play, uh, my quickest access to, to flow state, like all of those elements are on board. Like, you know, I, I've never played uh, I, I've always played my best hockey with a sense of mission, with a sense of team when I when I really felt important to the game. Uh, I've never played my best hockey hungover on two hours of sleep, whatever. Like I've always, you know, managed that physical element. I I've always been kind of a body nerd. So that's just something I've cared about, you know, since I was young, um, you know, and having that emotional fire, you know, you really do need every leg, you know, to the chair for me, uh, in, in my own, uh, performance. And for me, it, it's really about balancing that inner ambition and that dark side that Jordan, for example, we keep coming back to this, but you know, Jordan, I think had a good relationship with the pros and cons of, of his, you know, competitive spirit for the most part, you know? Um, and then, you know, Kobe was another guy that point people pointed to and, and saw, you know, the darkness in him in hockey. Like I see, uh, I practice a lot here in the city of Chicago with, with Patrick Kane. And you see that same sense of like, you know, assassin mentality, just they're, they're, they're cunning, looking for any edge at any time. Um, and it's really something that, you know, I can't really speak to the business world. It's not a game I, I play in yet, but in the hockey world, those four elements, you know, really do show up in all the greats that I've always, I've always tried to emulate. Yeah. I mean, again, again to go back to Jordan, he was being interviewed by Connie Chung and, you know, in this episode six, I think, it was just fascinating. She says, uh, she looks at him, she goes, so Michael, do you have a gambling problem? He goes, I don't have a gambling problem. I can stop right now. He goes, I have a competition problem. And if you look at the docu-series, again, for anyone who's just watching, it's it's the last dance. But he just couldn't turn off the winning. You know, even before he got on the court, he was he was playing and he just wanted to win. On the plane, he would go to the front and people were playing cards and they would say, why do you want to play with us for a dollar? And he said, because I want, I want the feeling of that dollar, your dollar in my pocket. 
And you're right. I don't think anyone who's at the top of chess or the NHL or business or science or movement making, every one of those people has a dark side. I mean, the world has been created by wounded people. Mm-hmm. I think what we want to do is we want to take that sh- shadow side to give credit to Carl Jung. You know, I mean, it, let, like, let's go as deep as possible here. Almost every A player was never enough for mommy or daddy. And at some level, probably unconsciously, you know, they're trying to say, look, look at how successful I am in the world to get that validation they didn't get. You know, if you had a perfect childhood, if you were nurtured and everyone, you know, hey, hey, hey you're the best there ever was when you're four years old, you're not going to have that fire. And I think you're right. You want to you want to use the fire to your advantage and you want to manage the, the downsides and the dark sides of it. Otherwise, that's how the addictions happen. And then that's why you see the falls from grace, whether it is the pro athletes who do something that destroys their their reputation or their game or the business leaders who, who do something incredibly foolish. You know, someone once said to me at a seminar, we're only one decision away from stupid. I mean, I've I have a good relationship with that ever since, uh, you know, as a kid, I was always very careful. Um, you know, my public image, the conversation and dream growing up in my house was, you know, to achieve a division one scholarship. And of course, you know, the NHL and, and, you know, I was, I was coming up as MySpace and Facebook and these things began to, there was a, a, an added level of like permanency to all of our lives as athletes where all it took was one picture. Um, you know, and I guess on that front, like I always, I, I was fortunate that my mom and dad, you know, my life growing up was really built around habits. And you talk about the uh, automaticity point in in the 5 a.m. club. And that's what I'm trying to, I guess, get in touch with in, in my own personal life is more clearly create boundaries around like work and play and self-development and family time um, so that there is less distraction there is less bleeding. And frankly, you know, the big one for me, right? Cause I, I am married. I'll be going on two years in July is, you know, I can be obsessive about my craft and at a point in a family structure that can become, if not scheduled properly, it can become very selfish. And these are all habits that, you know, I guess I, I didn't realize I needed, you know, in my teens, I didn't have a family, you know, when I was building my career as a, as a young pro, I was living on my own. Um, and it's been, it's really been uh, a, a, I don't want to say this, a rewarding study of self. Really, it's it's been very worthwhile. I know sometimes people get uncomfortable with you know self development, but I, as I proudly identify as a lifelong learner, like it's what's nothing brings me more joy than those moments of growth. It's just I didn't realize until really I got married that I needed to grow as a person. Well, that's that's very honest, and I, um, you know, I, I don't understand what's more important than human growth. You know, often Connor, when people mock self-help, if you want to call it, or call it personal mastery or elite performance, that maybe that's more acceptable. But when they mock it, it's coming from a place of judgment, and underneath that judgment is fear, because to embrace a new habit, to embrace a new mindset, to embrace a new heart set, to read a new book, 
to have a conversation that actually disrupts the way you see the world is a terrifying thing to an insecure person. So they'd rather spend their days excusing their lack of materializing their greatness. They'd rather escape into Netflix or video games or being busy being busy versus confront where they've betrayed their own talent. I mean, I think you, know, you, you getting on the path of growth and trying to make yourself into the best athlete and the best husband, perhaps the best father down the road, the best human being you can, that's how you change the world. I mean, if you look at the, the planet right now, we're in this mess because there was too much greed. We're in this mess because we forgot about Mother Nature. We're in this mess because we forgot we're all brothers and sisters on a tiny planet. We're in this mess because we became more interested in materialism than self-mastery and decency in making the world a better place. And if we would go within and and again, this is not metaphysical. I mean, if, if you read, if you would simply read the right books, install the right habits, learn how to build your mindset, build your heart set, build your health set, build your soul set, so you can maximize not only your peace. We're also talking about your performance. Maximize your impact. Maximize your creativity. Maximize your productivity. Well, when you do that, you start to own your your original glory. And you start to fall in love with who you are. You feel good about yourself. Well, then you go out in the world and you treat people better. You do amazing work. And you deliver value for your customers or your stakeholders. And you tread the earth more lightly because you're awake to what the world is. And that makes you a warrior. And it makes you a great performer. It also makes you a much happier, healthier human being. So I think the door, you know, we've, we've, we've got a little, I'm not saying from a place of judgment, you know, I'm a, I'm a flawed person myself and I'm just trying to figure it out as best as I can. But we, we've fallen into the seduction that the doorway to success opens outward versus inward. And I think part of this time we're experiencing is we get to be alone with ourselves more. Guess what? You, you, so you have to confront who you are. Maybe that, maybe the people you've hurt. Maybe the beliefs that are scaring you. There's a lot of people right now who are terrified. Well, is it the world that's terrifying people right now? Or is it their pre-existing fears that what's happening in the world now is activating, if that makes sense? Yeah. Okay. It's, and something, so it's something I even did, you know, when I, uh, the first couple of days of, you know, there was a little bit of shock, just the season had stopped. I'd never experienced this in my career. Hopefully not again. Um, but was dealing with, I mean, how many times have, how common is the conversation in, in today, the, the modern person's head of, if I had the time, I would, or I would start, or I would begin, or I would do more of, and I'm one of those people. You know, I was, I was one of those people, uh, I wanted to start a podcast. It was something I wanted to talk about. I love talking to very interesting and worldly and, and, uh, profound people like yourself. These were conversations I want to engage in a little bit different than what we talk about in the locker room and that. And all of a sudden it was like, you know, three or four days had gone by. And again, this is something I thought about even with last summer. Uh, and I told myself enough excuses during the season why I wouldn't start but when quarantine started, like I really had to stare at myself in the mirror and like deal with some of that self-sabotage. It was like, oh, you would, you would, if you weren't, you would start the podcast if you weren't playing. Well, let's see. Cause two days have gone by, 
three days have gone by and all of a sudden there was like this, you know, uh, I had to address, you know, some of the, the self-sabotage. I had to address some of like the, well, why haven't you started? A lot of it was fear of judgment. A lot of it was inertia. I think that's like a funny force, you know, and a lot of, particularly in hockey, I've got these long built career, uh, habits in my career of, of hard work. And, you know, my system, um, is, it's very automated. I can I can even be a little fatigued or, or like burnt out in the middle of January on game six or whatever. And a lot of people wouldn't even be able to tell. I know because I know, you know, the, the fire I come to work with every day and when it's kind of, you know, faltering or not, or I'm not doing the work to recharge. Uh, but like I had to stare in the mirror and deal with the whole if if game that I'd played for a long time. Yeah, I mean, and anyone who's, pursuing their dreams and doing something amazing in the world is going to get those people who laugh at them. You know, because you said you were wondering why you might not have started those first few days. And, and I think you're right. We all like we're tribal fundamentally, fundamentally and neurobiologically thousands of years ago, if we strayed from the, the, the herd, we would be eaten by saber toothed tigers, warring tribes or die of starvation. So now here we are in the modern age, we have this neurobiological instinct to fit in, but you can do amazing things or you can fit in. You don't get to do both. As I say in the 5M club, to have the results only 5% of the population has, we've got to be willing to think, behave, perform, do like only 5% of the population is willing to do. That's going to make us abnormal. So, I mean, let's create a word on your, on the, on, on Connor podcast. Abnormalist. Let's be abnormalists. Because if you look at Tim Berners-Lee, who came up with the internet, you look at Elon Musk, you look at Shakespeare, you look at Jordan, you look at Miles Davis, you look at Mother Teresa. These were all people who said, you know what, I'm going to face resistance. People are going to laugh at me. They might even try to kill me if you really play the game like at the highest level, like MLK and Gandhi. Well, they killed Gandhi. Because every visionary is ridiculed before they're revered. So I think, you know, for you, me, everyone listening, we've got to we've got to have the bravery and the leadership to trust our instinct more than the fear that says what would people think. Otherwise, you're you're right. We're going to get to the last hour for our last day and say, well, I cared what people thought, I didn't do my life. And that that's that's a great way to waste your whole life. That's that's a lot of how like my instinct and my highest self talks to me. It's almost like an impatient child, like tugging on mom and dad's shirt. How I, you know, that's, that's how I did with mom and dad when I was a kid at the rink, like, you know, asking for more money, more quarters for the game room. You know, hey dad, can I get another dollar? Can I get another? And that's how, you know, it's, it's kind of like a flicker, like a pilot light when I have an idea that I know I'm not paying enough attention to or, um, there's a part of me that knows it's time to level up and I, and I haven't done so. It just keeps tugging at my shirt and it's like, Hey, I'm here. I'm here when you're ready. And, uh, you know, I, I've been really excited about the podcast. It's been really rewarding to engage with, you know, people like yourself, your work. And I've, I've talked to some former teammates and gotten insight into their life that, you know, I otherwise wouldn't have. And really it's, it's kind of reengaging with that curiosity I had as a kid, you know, like in the first couple of days with quarantine, I was, uh, I went, I went outside 
and I was rollerblading kind of old school. I had no, I haven't rollerbladed in like 10 years, you know, but I was trying to simulate skill work the best I could. And, uh, I found myself, I was doing like sets and reps around these, these certain cones. And I was like, this is not true skill. Development. This is way too structured. This is how adults try to develop. When was I, you know, when was my athletic career really built? It was as a kid when I would just imagine I, I would, I would go into these scenarios and pretend and play and have this curiosity instead of like trying to have a checklist, instead of trying to, you know, tap the ball up in the air a hundred times, it was just how many can I do? And, you know, I've really had a chance to re-engage with that longer format, taking things from, you know, finite to more uh, infinite style games uh, in my head. And it's, it's been a lot of fun, you know, really. And it's, hope, it's something that I'm grateful for. I don't think I ever would have looked at my routine the same if we hadn't had, you know, the stop in the career. I, I, I probably would have kept on, you know, with the, the same pattern loop I developed. So isn't it interesting? <clears throat> so many people are judging what's happening as bad and and look my my heart feels for um in in the u.s alone in seven weeks 33 million people have lost their job worldwide people are suffering people have died obviously remember those those scenes of the coffins in italy mm-hmm. so it's 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 a time of great suffering on the planet and if we're sensitive caring human beings we feel that Having said that, it's also a time where we're reconnecting to, to important truths and we're getting to look at our life, like you said, you know, where we can actually step back and say, how am I living? What's most important? What's my pilot like to use your words? And by the way, I'm sure, I'm sure there's many books in you. That's a good book title. The pilot light. There's there's your there's your book title, Connor. Told me pilot light. I love that. Like, come on, it's 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 poetic. It's the pilot light. And you know, I'm a huge fan of art. And Picasso once said, "It took me, it took me four years to learn how to paint like Raphael. It took me a lifetime to remember how to paint like a child." And and here's what I'm trying to suggest. You're right. It's when we. We don't need to transform into someone we're not. We need to remember who we are before the world beat the curiosity, the creativity, the pilot light, the ingenuity, the audacity out of us. It's, I think that's an important distinction. We're not broken. We just have forgotten who we truly are. And so, you know, us remembering our original nature you know, we used to be dreamers. We wanted to be NHL players when we were kids and astronauts and poets and whatever. And then the world says, live in a box, be like everyone else, be average. And what starts to happen is over time, we, we forget who we are and we actually believe that we get hypnotized by the messaging of the world. And, you know, I think, I think our lives begin to change when we trust our instinct more than our intellect. Um, habits are important. You know, the 5M is very much about the habits. There's a, a model in there, the 10 rituals of daily genius. A lot of it's based on neuroscience. The 2020 formula I talk about in the book, you mentioned Dion mm-hmm. Phaneuf being a fan. And there's so many athletes who are reading the 5AM club. Um, even I heard the, the Miami Heat are, are big fans. So the thing about habits is they're incredibly important. 
But may our habits become our servants, not our masters. And so I think, I don't think we spend enough time, Connor, talking about freedom from habits. Because we can become very rigid to the point where we are ruled by our habits. And this is a very delicate dance to, 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 to stay as members of the 5 a.m. club. I, I've seen from your Instagram post, you're a big fan of morning routine and your mm. coffee and journaling. So am I. Um, and that's important. But the great artists understand the on-season and the off-season. And in the 5M Club, there's that model, the twin cycles of elite performance. And let's go to the science. The greatest athletes, and you know this better than most, they have these intense high-excellent cycles, and then they make time to recover. Because recovery is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Otherwise, you get hurt, as you know so well. And all I'm trying to say is, this is where the instinct comes in. Intellect says every single morning I need to do this, every single day I need to do the 24-7, 365. But we're not human doings, we're human beings. We're not machines, we're, we're sort of poet warriors. And, and I just want to offer instinct is where the athlete says, you know, I better take a few days off here. So I, my pilot light gets turned back on. I'm writing this new book. I just did an Instagram live before I came on your podcast. And I mean, here, here's the manuscript of it. You know, when I go in, I'm like you, I go in, I go all in. I love it. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's 700, approximately 700 pages. So last week I did 40 chapters. High excellence cycle, warrior, full on, fasting, up early, you know, hydrating, all that stuff we believe in. This week, I gave myself permission not to write a word. And that's the wow. instinct. Well, that's the instinct where it's like pull back, sleep a little bit more, go mountain biking, hang out with your family, watch some sunsets. I've got a little garden, work on my garden, read some Marcus Aurelius, and then come back next week born anew, refreshed with my pilot light on. Well, it's that relationship with like the the micro, the the doing the work, the consistency, the, the having the the platforms in place for your genius to show up, right? You don't leave it to chance. Uh, you schedule it, you make room for it, you invest in it. But like you've got this, it, it's to serve your macro mission, and that's what I really respect about you know you and 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 your work is. I think you have that duality that. It's it's a very old school work ethic. It's a very, you know, grind it out, grit it out. I will be up at, you know, feet on the floor at 501, ready to rock. Um, or, you know, there's kind of the, the group of people that go the other way where they're just leaving their day to chance. They want to see what they're hungry for. There's a little bit more laissez-faire element to their life. And I am, I love, if you, you said it's a delicate dance. I think the, the, beauty is that if I can even show people that the dance is going on, like I'm not even telling people how to do it yet. That's different for every individual, right? Like your burnout point might be six days of work in a row. It might be seven weeks. I was talking to, uh, I remember I had a, I had an ankle injury and I was seeing this uh, French osteopath, this guy named uh, Guy Voyer, who's world-class at what he does. And he was, he was seeing me at the end of a long teaching day. And one of his, um, Mantis was saying, yeah, Guy's a, a, a freak. He'll, he'll work every single day for six weeks. And then for two weeks, he'll do absolutely nothing. 
you'll do. And, and that was the first time I ever was like, you know, it's weird. It's amazing how what I'm trying to apply the in season, off season, how it applies across other disciplines. Uh, and I finally started to respect the more artful side to this like art and science blend, this like micro macro, you know, relationship with life that you, you seem to exemplify. Well, you know, um, I hear you. And, and that is back to the five am club. That is the model in the book, the twin cycles of elite performance and the science actually confirms, I mean, it's so counterintuitive. The science actually confirms we get the most done when we build in recovery, strategic recovery Mm. versus hustle and grind. There's so much messaging out there. You know, I'll sleep when I'm dead. You know, 3 a.m., the the time that warriors get up. Well, look, I've been teaching the 5 a.m. club for 24 years. I believe it. But I'm not. I mean, there's a whole chapter in the book, which is on sleep. Mm. And so... Even those, even anyone who wants to be a better athlete, a better performer, a better producer, a happier human being, let's look at the science. I mean, the Energy Project has found um, that the best tennis players really wasn't as much as what they did on the court. It was what they did in between points and how they recovered that made them great. If you look at any great artist or writer, they had these periods of intense writing and creativity, followed Connor by periods of intense non-doing but it was in the non-doing that the next level ideas were incubated see society and our ego says oh i must be training all the time i must be working all the time because society says otherwise you know feel guilty you're lazy i I think there's something to be said for resting and strategic laziness you know john lennon you you know what he said he said um Time you enjoy wasting is not wasted time. Haruki Murakami, the great Japanese novelist, he said, when I'm not writing the book, that's when I'm writing my next book. So are we playing a short game where you're going to, your pilot light? I'm trying to encourage you to write your book. Uh, <laughs> I'll take that out. Your, your, your pilot light gets burned out? Or are you going to be a Jagger? Are you going to be a Miles Davis? Are you going to be... You know, a Shakespeare, you're going to be a George, you're going to play a long game. And if that's the case, then the twin cycles of elite performance are, are the way to go. And I think it makes you a much happier human being. You know, someone said, oh, Robin, you're, you're always writing, you're always shooting videos, you're always on Instagram, you're always, it might look like that. My reply to the DM was, when I work, I really work. And when I don't, I don't. That's one of the... Um you know, really lessons in the physical training I've used of late, like, uh, my trainer's name is Ian Mack. He does a great job and and I've worked with him for a couple of years and we're close. And he has this saying where, you know, in terms of the workout or the, the training session to, to be careful with our words, if you put a, if you put nine in, you get nothing out of it. If you put 10 in, you get 11. Now that's very much on like the, the grind it out, the get after it mentality, but our light days, would shock a lot of young athletes. Exactly, it's so light. It is, and and even on the on a bigger scale. I remember uh, the year I got married. Uh, we went on a two week honeymoon to Hawaii, like right in the beginning of August, when when training usually gets really hot. The volume's super high. Uh, getting ready for training camp, and and our training camp I was a part of. Uh, this is when I was going to play in Toronto. Was always you know demanding, so there was there was a high level of pace expected from day one, and. Uh, I came back 
to my workout group after the honeymoon and was cooking. Like guys looked stuck in the mud. They looked tired. And I, I kept my foot on the throttle a little bit. I worked out like once every four or five days on, on the trip just to remember what it felt like. And so I didn't get too sore and, and things like that when I came back. But that was like the first really time that I experienced it where, you know, I had that great compensation for putting in the work all summer long. And I took my foot off the gas and then grew just allowed for that growth to happen. Yeah. There's, 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 um, there's a line in, in the five am club that says growth happens in the rest. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to remember that, you know, this so well, but when you go to nine in training, you're stretching your muscle capacity past the normal. And as you know so well, Connor, if you were to look at the muscle under a microscope, there'd be what's called micro tearing. Then the athlete or the producer recovers through rest, through massage, through cold baths or whatever it is. And the growth happens in the, in the recovery. And that's the twin cycles of elite performance. And so you're right. If all we do is train, if all we do is create, if all we do is produce and go to our edges without the recovery, we actually don't grow the muscle or the capability. So here's a specific example for your viewers, your, your listeners. I take most Fridays off and I take most summers off and I've done so for two decades. That is where I get my best ideas. On Fridays, I'm doing this for you on a Friday because it's you and you asked me. Thanks, Rob. But, but, but usually, they're my, what I call my zero device days. I turn, I turn off my phone. I put it in a drawer. I'm away from technology. And I'll go to an art gallery. You know, I can't do it now. But I, I go to an art gallery or I read or I go out on a mountain bike ride or I take a nap. I'm reading this amazing book uh, on Churchill. It's called The Splendid and the Vile. And it was how he navigated World War II. It's amazing. Like, you know, the German bombers are over London and he's out 2 a.m. In, in his rose garden smoking cigars and drinking brandy. Like, how does he get so brave? But my, my point is he did so because he recovered. There's this, um, the, resi the, the country residence of the prime minister of Britain is called Checkers. He understood the power of getting out there every weekend and inviting his war cabinet and his friends and having these long dinners and then smoking cigars and having brandy. And, you know, they'd be out there till two in the morning just chatting. And then he'd go back stronger. And so, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's a line from the book is genius without recovery leads to depletion of your assets. And I think, you know, it, it is a cycle. Let's go back to nature. You've got your, your fall season of the harvest, and then you go into winter and hibernation. That's how nature works. And then you have a, a, strong, a strong harvest. You've got to have those times of, of recovery and hibernation and those winter times of our life or, or of our weeks. Well, we saw it in the last dance. I think Dennis Rodman, when he asked to go to Vegas, had a good exactly. relationship on where he got it. He knew something no one else knew. 
You know, I, I think that was one of the best scenes. It's like that's you know, unreal. He goes, he goes, Phil, can I take twenty four hours? Okay, you get twenty four hours because we knew what he needed. And then, the, <laughs> and then you remember that the, the, the clock on the docu series? It's twenty four, twenty five, twenty six, thirty two. And then Phil Jackson goes, we had to send someone to get him. They bring him back for anyone who hasn't seen the docu series. And then like you know, Jordan and everyone's going, okay, we're doing the the runs around the gym. And it's like, you know, we got to do this because Rodman's been out doing whatever he did in Vegas. And all of a sudden from the back, Rodman blows past them and, you know, just is the superstar of the practice. And I think you're right. You, it happened to you after you're, mar- you're, you're on your honeymoon and it, it happens to all of us if we take even, even a Friday and a weekend off. We, we must rest and recover to do our greatest work. It's really interesting to watch uh, Phil Jackson's role in the whole documentary, just so forward thinking for his time. And, you know, if, if you know his background, I read uh, 11 rings, it's actually backwards. Like he was borrowing, he wasn't ahead of his times thinking in terms of today. He was, you know, back when, when he was younger and, and kind of his worldly sense and what an interesting guy. I'd, I'd love to talk to him sometime. And, and, uh, because I, I think the way he handled Robin, the way he handled, you know, Jordan's intensity is, is just brilliant. Um, and, I mean, what a difference in the times like for athletes like Dennis Rodman as recognizable as he was just went hanging out around Las Vegas, you know, one of the most uh, highly populated areas in the world and people had no idea. It's wild. Yeah, there, there's I mean, uh, there is so much learning in that docuseries. Like I said, Phil Jackson saying we are only successful at the moment we are successful. You know, imagine if every athlete said, wow, I won last year, but last year's championship performance is this year's baseline. And that's even in business. Businesses fall because they fall in love with their winning formula. Look at Blockbuster, Kodak, I guess Ericsson, Blackberry. And then what makes a legend is... You, you never fall in love with your winning formula. You, you know, I mean, again, you, let's go back to Jordan or, or any great athlete or any great artist or any great entrepreneur. They never lose their holy curiosity, to use Einstein's words. They, they always protect and insulate the white belt mentality. The moment you think you are a master, you've, you've lost your mentality of a master you've got to always think like a like a beginner train you know you mentioned kobe you know he he was a world champion and he still outpracticed everyone around him you know his last game what was it 62 points yeah what what does that tell you not only about his mindset his heart set his health set his soul set so i think nothing Nothing succeeds like success. And that's why even if you get to be a champion, it's very rare to get a three-peat because you fall in love with thinking like a champion versus going, the moment I'm successful, the only only time I'm successful when, when I was holding that Stanley Cup or that NBA trophy. And when you put it down, you're no longer successful, which means you gotta dig deep once again. Well, I think it's, you know, the beauty of the process, you know, and, and to flip Phil's words on its head, like one of the, the takeaways that I have from that is you're only a failure at the moment of failure too. 
Like there's only a brief mistake. And I was a player earlier in my career. Um, you know, I didn't have a, a post-game routine. I, I was I did the pre-game stuff. I did the pump up. I had my pre-game meal set. I did the big song. I did the visualization practice, the key words to myself. Um, you know, but when you're playing 82 games a year, you need to come down too. You need a, you need a, the next game starts right after that one ends. And I was a player earlier in my career where, you know, some of the anxiety or the resiliency over previous mistakes would, I'd be up at 4.30 in the morning thinking about it. Mm. And it really took away from, you know, the energy. It really took away from the freshness of coming to the rink uh, sometimes. And that's, I think, just, you know, part of where my respect for the veteran players in our, in our, in our game of, of the National Hockey League comes from is just their ability to do it year in, year out. After all the trials and tribulations, you know, it, I played with uh, Pat, Patrick Marlowe in Toronto. He's got 1,600, whatever, two gazillion games played now. He would cold tub in between every period. And, and I'm sure sports science out there, there's a million people that think that's great. There's a million people that don't. The only thing that matters is Patrick thought that it was right for him. And just to think after that many years in the NHL, that many cold tubs, he would still do it every single game. And that ability to, whether he play, he was playing well, whether he was playing poorly, to like honor his process to me was so special um, to witness. And it's, it's, you know, I think a key part to his, he was very consistent as a person uh, and that really bled well into his, his play. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, it all what you're saying almost speaks to the importance of again a delicate balance of honoring your process and your routines, but also reinventing yourself. And that's isn't that an interesting fulcrum or running your winning for your your winning routines like cold a cold bath between every period for so many years, and yet maybe somehow tearing down the game so you can reinvent it even better. We've been talking about uh, documentaries, and I, I, I love documentaries, especially sports documentaries. You know, I mean, there's a great documentary called The Good, the good, uh, the good Son. It's about Ray Boom Boom Mancini, the boxer, and um, the Iverson documentary, inc- incredible documentary. The Lenny Cook documentary, incredible sports documentary. Um, you know, but one documentary I watched recently, it's about Miles Davis, the jazz great. And one of the things that made him a legend was he disrupted traditional jazz. Remember that? I don't know if you follow Miles Davis, but remember, I think it's uh, kind of blue. You know, his I think that was one of his seminal albums and he used to wear like a lot of jazz people at that time you know the custom suit you know like just and he used to drive ferraris and and then i mean he became a legend in that time like Mm -hmm. let's call it domain dominance well the 60s come it becomes a time of rock you know the british invasion the stones the who and funk and guess what he did? He had the bravery to put away the suits and to start wearing leather pants and those cool glasses of, you know, the funk era. Mm-hmm. 
but also he re- he re- reinvented his music. And he, he wrote, uh, he, he did a, a, an album which became the best-selling jazz album, which totally, totally was different from his previous stuff. And it was called Bitches Brew. And then he, in the 70s, he reinvented himself again. And in the documentary, his son says, you know, my dad never had his old albums at home. And the documentarian says, why not? And he said, eh, my dad wasn't interested in the past. He was always interested in, in the future pretty good lesson for for not only athletes but creatives entrepreneurs human beings yeah and i think that you know really stems from the cycle of of doing and then removing yourself from the doing so you can evaluate you know like i've never uh i i I do my very best not to like judge my workout in the middle of my workout you know like I'll, i'll during my rest sessions yeah maybe i'll reconsider how i want to periodize things coming forward uh, you know, reflect on what I liked about, you know, what I just went through, you know, yay, nay, keep it or, or toss it. Um, but if you're constantly stuck in routine, you know, it, I guess I, uh, I have experience of, with this and I'm, and I'm grateful for it is that I've been traded a couple times, you know, so mid season, you know, to, to stay with the energy level, to stay competitive, uh, you know, in the national hockey league is a challenge in its own right. And then when you get traded, there's definitely the social element. You're trying to break into a new tribe and and show everybody, you know, that you can bring value to the group and you're not a, you know, a, an oddball in the room kind of thing. All those different, you know, uh, cultural tr- sort of fit in processes. But um, you are able to, you're, you're forced to kind of reflect on some of your routines and reinvent. And I guess that's a little bit of where I'm at. I'm 26 years old. I'm really excited about the focus I've brought uh, on how I want to live my life, how I want to build, you know, the next phase of my life, the next phase of my professional career. Um, and I think it's, it parallels well to my hockey career. I've had a lot of ups and downs. I've had some injuries. Um, I'm proud of where I've gotten to, but I definitely think there's a lot of meat left on that bone in terms of, you know, that where I want to get to in terms of NHL impact night in, night out. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm grateful you brought that up because it's something that, you know, I, I have, uh, I've wrestled with it, you know, and, and sometimes it, it's, it's really clarifying to, to hear, you know, from someone of, of your success and your status and your age, the, how long you've been in this game, you know, just how important it is to, you know, both be so immersed in your work uh, and then cut it off, throw the phone in the drawer and immerse yourself in, in the other side of the coin, you know, which is the art and the rest. You, you have to. I had Usain Bolt's doctor at one of my live events. And he came up to me and he said, Usain Bolt used to say, I rest to let the training take effect. So I, I, think, I think if you want to have long, like the real game of legends is longevity. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, whether it's whether it's an artist, whether it's a musician, whether it's a professional athlete, it's longevity. And I I think unless you, it's a pulse, right? You've you're in, you're out. And unless you do that, you you won't own. You, you'll get hurt, but also you'll your pilot light will go out. You know, and you've got to maintain. Like I, I even I know you like to journal. When I write about. In my journaling, I write about work. I always put it in quotations because it's not work to me. 
I don't want to dishonor my love of what I get, yeah. what I'm blessed to do by calling it work. I mean, this is, it's joy. It's a chance to express my creativity. It's a sense to serve human beings. And, and you know, you mentioned at the beginning that my mission to help people lead without a title is it continues to evolve. I just want to now help as many people as possible while, while as long as I get to live, remember who they truly are. Remember their native genius. Remember their ability to, to achieve incredible things and live a beautiful life. I mean, one of the great sadnesses of the world is society has, has sold good people a series of beliefs about who we can become. And we've heard it so much and we've been told it so much, we actually believe it to be true. And then as positive psychologists will tell you, your story shapes your performance. Mm -hmm. If you don't believe you can be in the NHL, you're not going to even have the first practice or training session. And if your story is you need to, if your story is you, you're not the kind of person who can find great love or great health or great fortune or have great impact or start a great company or do a masterwork that changes the world, if that's your psychological story, then you're not going to invest the hard work and read the books and have the conversations and do what's required to materialize that story. And so we've got to stay fresh and we've got to, you know, you know, I love my work, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not all I do. You know, like I love Rome. Mm -hmm. you know, I, I did. I, I, I like your posts on Instagram. I don't, I think I follow 10 people and I follow you because it's, you know, I'm trying to do your stretching one from the other day. You know, you know, anytime, anytime. Yeah. I, uh, I am, you know, it's interesting. I was, uh, like when Rocky, you know, came out, uh, and he fights the, the Russian guy. I forget his name right now. Um, Dol the Dolph Lundgren character. Yes. I, everyone loves Rocky. I love the Russian guy. Hmm. Cause my theory was like, I love the idea of becoming this machine of becoming this maxed out. Like there is no space between my physical capacity and my potential. They're one and the same. Um, and I just, I just love the, the technology of it. I kind of was born in like the sports science, you know, where, where that era, you know, the tracking tools and things like that have become much better. Um, I, I, I love it. So anytime you want to set up shop and talk about, you know, myofascial stretching or whatever, I, I, I love that stuff. I, I can go on for days. Yeah. I, I learn a lot from your stretching and, you know, we also share a love of coffee. I mean, I'm big mm -hmm. on coffee as, as an antioxidant and as a cognitive enhancer and as something good to drink, you know, yeah, like it, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. just, it just, if you get, I have a new machine and I've spent two months watching YouTube videos to try to get my coffee dialed in and I finally have, have it where I want to get it out. But, you know, I look, I think a lot of what we've been talking about, I'm, I'm really into to biohacking as well. I'm mm -hmm. into fasting. I'm in, in the supplementation, and I think that's really important. I also think it's important not only to be a warrior, but to be a poet. And I think that's where the magic happens. If you can be the machine and be the human, then you've got something really special. Now, you could argue with me and say, well, in Last Dance, was, was Jordan a poet or was he a warrior, totally a warrior? And I think most people would say he was, a, he was a machine. He was a warrior. 
Um, I think, yeah, ultimately, I think you have to, the great thing about life is we get to live life the way we want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, what I do is different from what you do. I'm, I'm more of an artist, but, you know, I, I, I go hard when I go hard, but I really, I don't want to get to the end and, and say I didn't see the sunset over Trinita de Monti on the Spanish steps in Rome. Mm. I love my craft. I love serving. I work really hard, but I don't want to get to the end and say, I, you know, I wasn't an amazing father to my two children, Colby and Bianca, who I have a great relationship with. I think success, there's a line in the 5am club, success without soulfulness is an empty victory. And that's where I think, you know, that's where I think wisdom comes in. That's why I love the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. There's a line in there. No, sorry, in the shortness of life by Seneca. And he says, you know, so many great people live their life chasing success all for a line on an epitaph, all for a line on a tombstone. We, we, you know, success has costs. You know that. I do. Right? Costs of injuries. I, I've, I've read about you, you, your injuries. But there's psychic costs. People try to take us down. As a matter of fact, a symptom of success means you get a lot of critics too. People try to attack you. People get jealous. A lot of my new book is about the symptoms of greatness as well. People see you. Oh, you must have it easy. They don't see all the things like it's a lot easier when you're anonymous than when you get successful. Mm-hmm. You look at some of the super famous people. They can't they can't go they can't go out of their house. So they have they've got these golden handcuffs. So I think, you know, success is beautiful. We we need to see how far we can go. I think we dishonor ourselves and we dishonor our maker by not seeing how much of our gifts we can capitalize. Having said that, it's it's a game. At the end, it doesn't come down to how many trophies we have. I think it comes down to what kind of human beings we were and how many people we helped. And if you can connect with your mortality, as depressing as it sounds, it, it's inspiring because then you go, Am I going to live my life in such a way designed to have my name on a hospital wing or for an epitaph? Or I'm going to, or, you know, because now people are talking about legacy a lot. You know, I wrote a book 20, 22 years ago called Who Will Cry When You Die about legacy. I don't care about legacy now. We'll be dead. Who cares about our legacy? We'll be food for worms. I think it's asking ourselves right now in this quiet time. How, at the end, how will I wish I will have lived? That's the sport of the Titans, I think. It's amazing. A lot of those Stoic readings, I read the uh, the Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday, and they're little one-pagers, super easy to stay consistent with. And But I, I, I have the same book now, and I'm going on year two. And I, I made notes the first time around. And it's it, it is both beautiful as like a, as a sign just of, of, of how tried and true some of these thoughts and, 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 uh, problems that human beings, you know, deal and wrestle with is like one, how old these teachings are and yet how applicable they are. And then just in my own personal life, I have exactly a, a little 
footprint on where I was a year ago and how I related to the text at hand. And I, you know, it's been pretty humbling. There's a couple times where I'm like, I'm dealing with the same shit today. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, my, my work ethic or my, you know, negativity bias or my self-talk or whatever. Um, you know, the same way I was a year ago and I've got all these processes to try and make sure I'm being better and kind of brings me back to earth when sometimes I, you know, see where I was a, a year ago. And on the other side, I do see just how far I've come on, on, you know, other areas, but it's, uh, I don't know. I, the, the stoicism uh, philosophy is really something that I get a lot from in my own personal life. Well, you know, you're human. And mm-hmm. guess what? I'm dealing with the same things I was dealing with too. But I've, am, I, am I where I want to be? Absolutely not. Am I farther than I was? I absolutely am. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, that's a really important point you mentioned, which is we think we do personal development work. Meditate, we journal, we, we listen to podcasts, we do courses, we listen to audiobooks, we read books, we pray, you know, we work with healers, I've done sweat lodges, and then you wake up and all of a sudden you're in a negative thinking or you know, there's some pain in your heart set or you're having a bad day and you go, oh, I've done all this work and I'm still where I am. But that's just the ego, isn't it? Mm. Because, you know, it's... We're not where we are. Every meditation counts. Every journaling session rescripts who we are. Every conversation with an interesting person leaves us better than we found that conversation. It's the micro wins that over time, you know, there's a there's a line in the book, small, daily, seemingly insignificant improvements over time, when practiced consistently over time, lead to stunning results. Small Daily, seemingly insignificant improvements, when done consistently over time, lead to stunning results. And so we do grow, but will we ever get to a place where we're perfect? No, because we're mm. human. Well, and I, you know, Robin, I, uh, I learned a lot today. I'm, I'm super grateful that you came on. I was, I was really excited. Um, you know, when you agreed to it, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of your work, but I, I. We are still on quarantine here, you know, with, with COVID-19 and, and that. And, uh, you know, like you mentioned earlier, a huge blend of, of gratitude for noticing maybe what I had noticed before about myself and my family. I'll, I'll, I've definitely experienced some grief just in knowing that there's a, a, a really, there, there's a big wave of, of negative momentum in a lot of people's life right now that I'm, I'm rooting for them to to be able to manage and and reshape and and pivot in their personal and professional life. Um, what is something in the world right now that if for our listener, you know, just uh, a piece of advice, maybe I call it like a thought that's been lighting you on fire lately, just something that in the heart has been a thought or an emotion that you keep coming back to uh, that you can share with our listener today. I'll offer you philosophy, a piece of philosophy, and then a, a specific tactic. The philosophy is life doesn't hurt you, life helps you, even when it looks like it hurts you. What we're going through is for our good, but a bad day for the ego is a great day for the soul. We're going to come out of this born anew, more reflective, wiser, stronger, faster. Human beings are built to survive. We always have. 
a tactic is morning routine. That's why I'm such an evangelist around the 5M Club. It's the greatest time in the day for quietude, but also to get fit, to prime your mindset, to purify your heart set, to elevate your health set, your heart set, your health set, and increase your soul set. So giving yourself that one hour where you do the methods to make yourself stronger allows you to go out into the day and, and feel dramatically different. You know, you, 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 your days can be much better by what you do first thing in the morning. So don't just wake up and look at the news or check your email or just start living life. Take that one hour, what I call the victory hour, to prepare yourself for a day. Great athlete, as you know, prepares for game. Spartan Warrior said, sweat more in training and you'll bleed less in war. That's beautiful. Thank you, Robin. I, uh, you know, definitely. I, I love just the intentionality behind that, that like, you know, living a, a, a passion life on purpose. You know, there's a, there's a, a process there of, of honoring the work that allows the rest to be enjoyed, you know, cause otherwise it's just indulgence. It's just uh, gluttony. Uh, it's laziness, um, you know, without it, you know, being at least somewhat scheduled for, for the freedom to occur. Um, Robin, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I, I really appreciate, you know, uh, you coming on. Uh, I'm looking forward to your next book. Uh, I, uh, you know, thank you for sharing that you're working on that. I wish you all the best of luck. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm always here as, as a friend for you. If, if you ever want to go over some of those stretches and things like that, um, happy to share, but Robin, thanks. Uh, thanks for your brilliance today. You've got a new friend as well, Connor. And I want to applaud you for, um, not only what you're doing in your, in your professional sports career with, um, with New Jersey, but also this podcast and everything I see you putting out on social media. Uh, it's, it's, it's great. And, you know, I'm going to take you up one day on those stretches I saw in one of those videos. Like, Absolutely. Maybe I mean, we'll get a chapter in the pilot light. Get, get a whole chapter on, <laughs> in the pilot light and se send me a copy with the invoice because I want to, I want to pay for one of the first copies. Well, I appreciate Thanks. that. Thanks, Thank Connor. You. Of course. Thank you to all of our listeners today for joining Robin and I. Uh, I really appreciated his time. He, he truly is, uh, I, I will definitely lean on him as a, as a friend in the future, uh, truly an exceptional person. And you could just tell he, he puts the work in to develop himself and in all, in all, he walks the walk. And I think that's all we ask of, you know, the leaders of our society, of the people who write the books I read is I want to be around uh, people who, you know, mean what they say, but they also have a relationship with, with an acting in their life day to day. They have a real uh, pulse on what it looks and feels like to be your best day in, day out, year in, year out. And I think uh, Robin is a, is a great role model for me that way. Three sort of I don't know, I guess takeaways or focus points that I was going to bring home for myself was one, it was something I, I really did well as a kid, uh, you know, in, in building my hockey career. And it's something I want to do for the next phase of my life. And really for the second half uh, of my professional hockey career is I want to give myself permission to be an abnormalist. It's a word that Robin uh, made up today. And I really liked it because you do have to, if you want to do things that are uncommon, you have to give yourself permission to be uncommon. And uh, he was very clear in his relationship of end product and action and where that starts with inner belief and story. Second, I really 
have an appreciation for Robin's, Robin's, uh, his, the way he focuses on his work. You can tell he doesn't bleed, uh, you know, work time in the family time. He doesn't have his phone out when he's doing some of his deep reading. I mean, you could tell just from uh, how quickly he was able to, you know, recollect quotes and books that were very important to him and who the author was. He clearly puts the work in to really make uh, his progress a part of his being uh, when he's working on his, his personal self. And then also just the dedication to his family. It's clearly something that he, he values uh, and schedules and makes time for. And he, and he separates you know, work and play in a, in a way that I think is really wise. And then I think Robin touched on it as well, where he discussed how to love and understand the duality of, of both your superpower and its dark side. We talk about a lot of it with Michael Jordan and, and sort of his relationship of, of how his competitiveness burned so hot. Um, you know, because I, that's something I have found in my own career where I can be hyper-competitive. I can be uh, hyper-focused on wanting to get better every second of every day. And that was a mantra I always had growing up was, you know, nothing was ever good enough. Uh, and I think if you're consistently that dissatisfied, um, you know, my superpower to want to be better can burn a little hot and become, you know, destructive at some point. So I was really grateful that those three points came so clear to me. Uh, I hope that, you know, those three resonate with you, our listener. Thanks again for joining us. Instead of our small business shout out today, I did want to highlight, uh, I, I didn't want to abuse uh, Robin's time. I was, I was really grateful we got to spend, you know, really over a full hour together. I wanted to uh, let our listener know, let you know, if you want to support Robin and his mission, uh, you can find him over at the Robin Sharma Foundation for Children. It's a registered charitable foundation founded by Robin Sharma. The foundation raises funds from around the world and donates them uh, to children's causes for, for you know, really children in need. Um, you can also uh, follow Robin on, on Instagram or via his podcast. Uh, I consume a lot of his content. He does a really great job. I mean, he's, he's the master at this. He's been doing this for a long time. Um, and so that's, you know, a couple ways you can really support myself today and, and, and by supporting our guest, Robin, as, as I really appreciated his time and effort to help make us both better. To end today's podcast, I do want to issue a, a challenge to our listener. Uh, the best we can all do right now is tend to the garden we can touch and really to support our loved ones, our family, our community, uh, only the way that we know how. So, so I, for example, uh, know that I'll be ordering this week from Dirty Root. They've been offering a special week in, week out, and they've all been fantastic. Uh, I hope that I'm able to get my hands on on some before you hear about this because they've been selling out every week. Uh, that's one way. Uh, we're going to be delivering coffee to a lot of different firehouses, medical care uh, locations. I want you to vote with your dollar to support local. I want you to, and, and if maybe not financially you prefer, uh, you can act in kindness you know, towards an essential worker or medical care uh, giver in this time. But please hashtag uh, CCPod. I want to see you know, your brilliance in the world. I want, you know, to witness uh, your growth as a, as a person and leader. And uh, thanks again for listening to the Connor Carrick podcast today. We'll see you next week.